So welcome back again to the second part of, of, of Come and See Inspirations, coming from our Come and See studio here in Ada. And as promised in part one, we have a special guest uh, joining us this morning. Father Columba McCann is from the Glenstall Abbey in Limerick. Good morning to you, Father Columba. How are you? And good morning to you. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And of course, Shane is still joining us on the other end of the line. And Shane would love to find out a little bit more and help us to mm. find out a little bit more what the Oblates of St. Benedict is all about. <coughs> exactly, John. So we invited uh, Father Columba on the programme this morning because, Father Columba, one of the many job titles that you have uh, in Glenstall Abbey is, I think you're the director of the Oblates. Is that the term? That's correct, yes. Oblate director, yep. yep. Oblate director. So it kind of begs the question... What's an oblate? What's an oblate of our Benedictine oblate? Okay. Um, well, if I could back up a little bit, but first of all, by saying that um, uh, there's a kind of, um, I suppose it's been a, a rediscovery um, in recent decades that a lot of the, the rule of St. Benedict, there's, there's wisdom in the rule of, of St. Benedict that can be lived by many people who are not monks. Mm. In fact, if you were to go to our uh, bookshop, for example, you'd find all sorts of books uh, written by people who draw inspiration from St. Benedict, uh, but they're not uh, nuns or monks. And there are even books, for example, written about uh, how to be a good business manager from St. Benedict. Uh, there are books about uh, Benedict and sport, uh, the rule of St. Benedict and family life. Mm. So because of the rule of St. Benedict is about... Uh, seeking the Lord and living in community. There's an awful lot about how people live together, how how they interact, how things work, how things don't work. A lot of it is even about what to do when things go wrong. So um, there's an increasing number of people who I would say uh, find that in our spirituality there's something that they that suits their own lives, even though they are they're not living in a monastery. So um, oblates, I suppose, are people who take that one step further that they have um, uh, a particular connection with a particular monastery. So a, a Benedict uh, obl- Benedictine oblate would be, for example, an oblate of Glenstall Abbey. Mm. And, um, so they're associated uh, with, so they're part of the extended family, you could say. They're part of the extended family, actually. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, and um, now the thing is, I suppose in the Benedictine world, compared to uh, other religious orders, there's quite a bit of variety from monastery to monastery as to how things are done across the board. Uh, We tend to be more like a kind of a confederation than an order. Uh, Each monastery is to a certain extent a little independent republic. So how oblates uh, feature will vary from monastery to monastery. But the way we kind of, um, the way we envisage it is that it's basically uh, a commitment an oblate is a person who makes a commitment, uh, first of all, to draw inspiration from the rule of St. Benedict and from Benedictine spirituality. And we leave that fairly vague. Okay. That's deliberate. And secondly, that they would um, commit themselves insofar as their other duties in life permit, because, you know, people may be married, they may have children, or their work commitments. There's a lot of other commitments that tend to have to take first place. But insofar as their other commitments allow, they also commit themselves to some form of daily prayer, either um, a kind of um, an adapted form of the, the liturgy, the hours, the office that we do, or some daily um, Bible meditation, Lectio Divina. Okay. Um, and so that's um, so we, the, the, the commitment is simple enough in a sense, and we, 
uh, we we want it to be um, not too prescriptive, so that it's a, it's a help for people rather than a burden mm. uh, that's going to weigh them down. Okay. Uh, uh, but then to help with that, then uh, we have oblate meetings. Mm. So in fact, we have about three different. Uh, we, well, we've actually during the year we have six different gatherings. Three of them are uh, meeting days; they're only Saturdays, and three of them are retreat days. Uh, so now, that, so people will come to those if they can. Uh, but really, it's the daily living is is the actual commitment. But these other. Uh, gatherings, I suppose, are times when objects support one another. I think that's a huge part of it, mm-hmm. is uh, looking for some way of being supported in your spiritual life. And um, I think it works for objects. Yeah. Mm. It's uh, just just to kind of, I suppose, if you if you if you want to look at it this way, so we objects in the Glenstall community uh, are encouraged kind of to draw inspiration from the rule of Saint Benedict. I, I you know you said yourself that's kind of deliberately left vague. So, you know, looking at the, the oblate community that are associated with Glenstall, how do different oblates kind of interpret that into their own daily circumstances? Yeah, it's, um, it's I'd say it's really almost like a kind of an osmosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, one of the things is nearly, nearly always on, on these uh, meeting days, we will have, we would sometimes take a little bit of the rule of St. Benedict or we'll take some theme of monastic spirituality and we'll go through it. Um, and um, one of the difficulties, of course, is that the rule itself, you see, was written in the 6th century. Mm. <laughs> and so it's written for uh, a different time and place. Um, so, and I often say that to oblates, you know, <coughs> if, you take up, if you just take up the rule and try to read it straight off, mm. it's, it's sometimes actually not even that inspiring. Mm. Um, so often it's a matter of teasing it out, and sometimes there are some very good authors who have written about it, uh, um, trying to understand what St. Benedict is really doing. Mm. Well, um, looking at, looking at Placid Murray's copy, uh, trans, uh, version of it is, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world. You, it's only it's Placid's translation is only 101 pages, so you mm-hmm. get through it fairly quickly if you were just reading it straight through. But as you said yourself, it's not exactly um, the easiest thing in the world just to pick up and mm-hmm. kind of uh, to get kind of inspiration out of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can give you a minute just off the top of my head a few examples. Um, let's say. Uh, well, even the very first word of the rule is listen. Mm. Uh, in fact, we just got a, a, a letter through the email uh, from our abbot president all about, in fact, five pages about listening, that we should be people who listen. We listen for the voice <laughs> of God. Five pages uh, on one word, that's quite a, that's quite a <laughs> treatise. Right. Well, I suppose also, now, maybe we could say that anybody who's listening in at the moment is, is maybe a prime candidate to be... At Benedict and Obdet, if they're listening, <laughs> mm. um, but kind of listening. So, for um, and that even uh, comes into practice in different ways. For example, the abbot, although he is the head of the community, he has to listen. It's actually written into the rule that he must consult. He has to consult uh, when he's making important decisions. No, no benevolent um, dictatorships. No, 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 no. And it even says, for example, that the young, sometimes the youngest person or the most the recent arrival may have wisdom that nobody else has. Mm. So that would be one example. So you can see, for example, uh, if you were to transfer that into other walks of life, then, um, you know, if you're a manager of a firm or something, you know, how much do you consult? 
do how do you what, what what systems do you have for hearing uh, what what people in the organization have to say uh, what wisdom they have to bring now the abbot uh, often still has the final decision actually but um so that would be just one example um uh, another example just uh, off the top of my head would be well um, there's a lot actually about the abbot anybody who's in a leadership role whether it's being a parent or being a teacher or being uh, in charge of anything uh, would have a lot to learn from um, what St. Benedict says about the abbot because uh, he has to be able to adapt himself to all the different types of characters that you have in the monastery and you do have plenty of characters <laughs> so you know some people some people need a real hard push you know they need to be challenged other people uh need a very gentle approach and so on and so forth. So um, it's part of um, the Benedictine approach is, even though we all kind of wear the same uh, habit or whatever, that in fact one size doesn't really fit all completely mm, okay. and that you have to adapt. And that would be part of Benedictine education too. In our school, we would try so far as we can to do the same, you know, mm. that... Um, but um, yeah. Um, and do, do, oblets, do oblets have to make any particular promises? Well, as I say, it's it, it's kept it's kept fairly light in the sense that all the the, the actual promise um, it's 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 simply really to 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 draw inspiration from the rule of Saint Benedict mm-hmm. and to live it uh, in connection with with us. Uh, the, the actual formal promise that's made on the day that they become an obit is, is uh, it's phrased very minimally. Mm. But I suppose in the in the oblate training and also the meetings, we try to flesh that out. But it's deliberately kept minimal because, uh, as I say, we want this to be an encouragement to people mm-hmm. rather than something that turns into a burden. Say, well, God, did I do this or did I do that? Or there I have failed again. Mm. We, we want to avoid that. Mm. Um, and in terms of kind of the, you know, obviously before you even get to the stage of making any promises or whatever as an oblate, mm-hmm. You know, there's presumably a whole process of discernment and kind of figuring out if this, if this, if you like, adoption into the family is for is yes. going to work. I presume that's right. And what, and what exactly would the steps be in that, or what's involved in that? Yeah, yeah. Well, what often happens, first of all, is it's often somebody who has come here, mm-hmm. maybe as a guest, or maybe even as a day visitor or whatever, and there's something they like about the place and the feel of the place and the way we do things is something that kind of they feel maybe that they're a kindred spirit in some way. Mm. And people tend to come back. Uh, and it's normally after they've been here a few times and then they hear about the oblates, they say, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to, um, I'd like to inquire more about this. So then yeah. somehow they end up in contact with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we kind of chatted out a little bit and um, um, our retreat, our oblate retreat days, uh, what we do is, that we have three of them. We have one in Advent, Lent, and Summer. And we actually open those days uh, to a larger group. Mm. So basically anybody could come to that. Okay. It could be what we call an associate, which is a much looser thing. There's no commitment at all. Mm. So if you want to be an associate, so if they come to those retreat days, we normally ask, look, you come to those for a year. Mm-hmm. You'll meet a lot of other oblates. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll see the way we uh, try to uh, unpack what our spiritual spirituality is and so on. And um, so, and also so we get a sense of the person too. We, we see them, we see whether they're getting on with people and so on. We see whether it seems to be working for them. And then at the end of that year, um, 
if they still want to go ahead, then they, they're enrolled uh, for a, an actual year of preparation. So, so during the year of preparation, they, they would try, insofar as they can, mm-hmm. attend the oblate meetings as well. Okay, okay. Uh, and then also, we put on um, additional meetings uh, for about four different meetings, uh, which are just for, if you like, the, the newcomers. Mm-hmm. And we arrange those, um, you know, to accommodate them and whatever way their timetables and calendars are. So mm-hmm. it's kind of done by email or whatever. So... We'd have four meetings. So, for example, now we actually have a we have a large group. We have a group of eight starting off, actually, and they'll actually be coming um, at the weekend. So, our first meeting we'll be doing some Bible meditation. Some of them will have, may have done that already. We'll be doing Lexio Divina. It's mm-hmm. like the Benedictine approach to Bible meditation. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be another. We what we do well, even though they don't take vows. We, we, as a framework for looking at Benedictine spirituality, we, we look at the vows that monks take okay. as a way of kind of a framework. So we'll do something on obedience, something on um, uh, stability. Mm. And, um, uh, actually, that's another, stability is another example of maybe how uh, Benedictine spirituality works very well in, in most people's lives. You know, you could say stability is kind of bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. It's saying um, uh, the faraway hills probably aren't greener. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't run away just when something gets tough. Um, Benedict has this horror of monks who go, who in his time in the 6th century used to go from uh, monastery to monastery. And every time, of course, the honeymoon was over after a few weeks. And when they begin to face the fact you know, and face themselves and how they get on with people, mm-hmm. then they move on to the next monastery. So they never learn anything about themselves. Right, okay, <laughs> they're constantly they're moving from place to place. Yeah, so it's a kind of a life of escapism. So for, for a Benedictine, the, 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 the idea of stability is, is that you kind of stay put with the people that you're with. And if it gets difficult, well, that's when you're really, when you're really going to grow. It's an interesting approach because I suppose often people would look and say, you know, we'd love to, you know, you'd love to travel, you'd like to go here, you'd like to go there. But sometimes maybe the place where we're called, what, where we're supposed to be is where we're called to be is where we are right now. And sometimes maybe that's not something that people would be appreciative necessarily of all the time. Um, in in terms of uh, the, the 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 ongoing, I suppose um, you know, you you do your you do your preparation for the year, and then you you make your oblation after the year after the year, and then after that, I suppose, how does uh, the relationship develop between the monastery and its abbots? Well, um, it's in some ways it's quite informal in the sense that um, they get to know us and we get to know them, mm-hmm. um, and um, they, uh, the the oblates will be, um, as far as they can, they will be continually uh, coming to these uh, meetings that are, you know, so we've, between the meetings and the retreats, there are six different occasions of the year where mm-hmm. we're particularly welcome to come here. Um, so it's a kind of, um, yeah, I suppose it, it, it's, uh, that's the basic structure, if you like. That's the trellis. Mm. And then whatever relationships grow in terms of people getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, now some of the talks that are put on in these meetings, some of them will actually be given by oblates themselves. Mm-hmm. But also there'll be a certain number of monks who have uh, materials to share, ideas to share. So there's, there's a kind of a, people get to know one another, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
And you see, there are other events also um, in the Abbey as well going on all the time. So you'll find oblates turning up left, right and centre, really, and getting mm-hmm. involved in different things, depending on, on their level of... To the level to which they want to engage. Yeah. Want to but in fact, you see, I suppose the most important thing is that the, the real, a little bit like the stability thing, the real living of the oblate life is, is in your own home, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the link is a spiritual link with the monastery. Because one of the things that makes it really nice now is that the fact that we have our, um, our, our prayers are on webcam. Mm. So people um, can unite themselves with us, not just by praying at the same time, but they could actually, you know, if they have a computer, they can, they can go online and they can actually be praying at exactly the same time. That's if they want to get up for prayer 25 to 7 in the morning. But nobody <laughs> wants to do that. Well, that's uh, fair enough. But so a lot of people might be up and about at that stage as well. So they Father are Columba, nowadays. Yeah. Exactly. Father Columba, if people were interested to find out more about the Oblates at Glimstall, how would they go about it? Um, well, I suppose to, it depends what kind of communication methods you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could simply, uh, if they're into uh, snail mail, they can write, just write, drop a short note to, you know, even if they don't remember my name, they can just oblate director or director of oblates, Glenstall Abbey, Maru, County Limerick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, on our website, there'll be uh, a little oblate section there. Again, outlining in just a few paragraphs, uh, some of the things that we've just been talking about, but also giving an email, an email address, and so on. So those are probably the two main ways. Or indeed, they could they could ring, uh, uh, you know, just ring the main uh, Abbey phone number, and if I'm there, uh, they'll get me. If I'm not, you know, they can leave a message, and I'll follow it up. So uh, and the other thing also just to say that the year it's a year of preparation, but in the end, it's up to it's up to people to decide. Um, occasionally people, for whatever personal reason, they decide, okay, I've done my year of different meetings and so on, but I'm going to wait a little bit longer before I decide to become an oblate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. And number two, I think equally important, is uh, just because you enroll, if you like, as an applicant and you're going through this preparation, uh, <clears throat> at any point you can pull out. That's really mm-hmm. important too. The people mm-hmm. would, would never feel that they're getting trapped into anything. Okay. You know, that they are really free to to have a go at it and then if they find actually this isn't quite what I thought mm-hmm. you know that's fine that's fine as well okay okay Father Clover McCann thank you very much for coming on the program this morning to us to talk about Oblix the Benedictine community of Glenstall and as, as, as Father uh, uh, Columbus said uh, com will get you the information if you're online or the Oblix Director at Glenstall Abbey Maru County Limerick if you want to go the more traditional routes Father Columba, thank you very much for being on the program this morning Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so at this part of the program now, we might go for a second piece of music, and this one is by Mark Farris, and this one is entitled Stir My Hat. Oh 
your tail.